I am excited to be able to sow into what God is doing here. And uh, I want to speak to you this morning on the, the subject of the thrill of victory. It's a part of a two-part message. Uh, our two messages usually go together, but I don't feel like I need to do the other one anyway. Uh, I want to focus on this one. So it's thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, but I think what that was dealt with already in the past. And I want to just deal with uh, about the thrill of victory. And this message is about grace. Um, I feel that one of the greatest tools the enemy uses to keep Christians from praying for the sick is condemnation, guilt, and a sense of you're not, you're not worthy. And what's really made that even um, a greater tool of the enemy is an unintended um, experience within Catholicism. And that it developed that if you were holy enough, the whole thing connected to the beatification of the saints. If they were holy enough, then they could they would see healing. And one of the signs that was for the beatification of a sainthood of a believer in the Catholic Church was uh, the level of saintliness, or the level of consecration, holiness. And and it got to the point that. Uh, when I was dealing, uh, particularly in the years past, with some Catholic friends of mine, I would hear people say this all the time. Would you pray for my family, my loved one? I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough that God would hear me, but he would hear you. And that, and that thinking actually um, is not unique to Catholicism. It, there, it actually was a, a carryover into many Protestants as well. And even though it may not be recognized as a, a teaching... Uh, or even maybe recognized as a belief they have, they still have it in the sense of... I, I know a friend, was, my, uh, daughter, my sister once called me and said, Randy, will you pray for a friend? She's a home health nurse. This young woman, I think God would hear your prayers if you wouldn't hear mine. And, and so there's that thinking. And I, what I want to do today, this whole message, is, is to come against a performance-based uh, emphasis about healing. And in doing so, I'm going to deal with five principles that are all true and they're all biblical. And I'll tell you what the principle is and, and some scriptures that go with it. And then I'm going to come back and illustrate the point by contradicting it. <laughs> you see, Norm, a reason why I'm telling you that up front, I said, why are you telling us what you're going to do? Because we're so used for the illustration supporting the point that you're going to think, has he lost his mind? You know, every one of his illustrations is contradicting the point he just made. But I want you to know, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and it's not an accident that it's intentional because I want to say that there's one overriding attribute of God that is more important than even these other truths. And that is grace. And I, I want to root us more in grace today. And I want to, and, and I also believe that sometimes one of the things that makes it difficult for people to receive healing is a sense of unworthiness, as a sense of I, I don't deserve it. Or particularly, your lifestyle actually did contribute to the sickness that you have. And he says, I brought this on myself. I did this to myself. Uh, but I just want you to know that 
God can shock us with His grace. And so, having said that, we begin with John uh, chapter 5, verse 19 and verse 30. In both those verses, Jesus says to the effect that I can do nothing of myself. I can only do what I see my Father do. And when we think of Jesus, sometimes we think, well, He did everything out of His deity. But I believe that in based on Philippians 2... That when he became, when God became flesh, he laid aside, he didn't count equality with God something to, to be grasped. He already had it. It doesn't mean he was trying to grasp it. I mean, he already had equality with God, but he released it. And during his incarnation, some of the attributes of God he, he, did, he no longer had. For example, unless you think I'm a heretic, he couldn't be everywhere at once when he's in his human body. His omnipresence attribute was no longer attainable during his incarnation. Uh, the thing that he, omniscience, knowing all things, if he knew all things, he wouldn't have had to ask questions. How long has he had this? So there was things that he self-limited. And I believe that everything he did, he did in his humanity, not drawing upon his deity and purposefully doing it out of his humanity, that he might be really the captain, the author, the pioneer of our faith and modeling for us what human life can be like when it's totally yielded to God. And not, not that he couldn't have done things out of his deity, but he chose. But, but how could he be a model for us then in, in the life that we uh, potentially are being invited into? So uh, here are the five um, principles that, I, that are true that I'm going to contradict. Number one, the principle of faith. I think, it's the, I think faith is the most important principle pertaining to healing there is of all five. But it is, and it, it is one. And the scripture for that is Luke 9, 22, the woman of the issue of blood, he said, uh, your faith has made you whole. In the same chapter, the people who are uh, um, mute and that, he, he said, do you believe that I can do this? And he said, yes, and to be it done to you according to your faith. In Matthew 21, 21, which is parallel Mark uh, uh, 9, 22, uh, it talks about if we have faith and do not doubt. Again, you can speak to the, to the mountain to be thrown into the sea. And what had happened to the fig tree that he cursed and it withered overnight or withered instantly. Uh, it, it, all things are pretty much possible is what he was saying as uh, another parallel. So these are very powerful passages um, um, about faith. And faith is the most important thing. I'm, I'm not belittling faith. But I also want us to know that sometimes people will say, if you only had enough faith, people would be healed. And, and if they're not healed, they say, well, I must obviously not have enough faith. And so we, we, we we're thinking, God won't use me because my faith is not strong enough. In Hebrews 11, 6, another passage valuing faith, it says, for without faith it's impossible to please God. But for me, I keep this little... Now, this is the biggest one of these I could find, so you could kind of see it right there. That's the biggest one I could find, because most of them are so small you couldn't see it, and it's called a mustard seed. Now, I have that in there because it doesn't say great faith. It's faith the size of a mustard seed. How do you know if you have faith to pray for the sick? You pray for the sick. How do you know when you've lost faith in, in healing? You no longer pray for the sick. It's that simple. If you don't pray, it's because you don't have any faith left to pray with. If you do pray, you have a, a mustard seed, you have faith, uh, or you wouldn't be praying. Uh, and so I just want to encourage you. 
Now, I'm going to come back and illustrate uh, about faith, but I want to go ahead and, and give the five principles I'm talking about. Uh, not, the second one is uh, often, particularly in certain camps of healing, where they teach on healing, uh, the two emphasis is faith and uh, if they don't get healed, it's because you didn't have enough faith in your life or you got sin in your life. And um, uh, and there can be a, pack, a, a situation, there can be times that I think the sickness is related to sin. Uh, in Mark chapter 2, the man that's being let down through the ceiling, in my opinion, in this situation, it's possible. You see, that, that wasn't a dogmatic statement, this is the way it is. It's just, in my opinion, it's possible. <laughs> this could be one of the situations where the, the man's paralysis wasn't because something was wrong with his legs or his spine, but something was wrong with his sense of guilt. Uh, an Englishman by the name of Leslie Weatherhead wrote his, uh, years ago in the 50s, wrote his doctoral dissertation at Oxford on uh, psychology, religion, and healing. And he talks about in it, um, and it became a, a book, um, but anyway, he talks about how that there can be senses, uh, a sense of guilt that is so strong that the medical field realizes that the sickness in the, that's manifesting in the physical body is not related to a problem with the eyes or blindness or the ears with deafness or the legs with paralysis. But it is related to a sense of a sin and uh, one case, uh, he, act, he actually brought, the, the, the uh, psychiatrist brought the patient to him that there might be a dealing with absolution of sin and for, speaking forgiveness of sin because that, that was, they really believed that this was connected. So when the man is let down through the roof, back to the scriptures in Mark 2, uh, Jesus looked at the man and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then he healed him. He understood because the, the, the people knew that, and they were right, the Jewish people were right in saying Jesus was blaspheming in the sense of the accusation. If he wasn't God, he would have been blaspheming. But the fact that he was God, then it meant he's not a blasphemer because he's actually using his prerogative as God in forgiving sin, which he now gave to the church that we too can pronounce forgiveness of sins in um, the scriptures that we've been released to, uh, to do that, not just the priests, but all priests to the believers. So when Jesus said, my son, your sins forgiven, they're saying, oh man, this man's a blasphemer because only God can forgive sins. But Jesus, understanding, knowing what they were thinking, said, which is easier to say, my son, your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sin. He spoke to the man to walk and the man got up and walked. But I believe he understood that it was important in that case that the first the man heard he was forgiven of his sin. Because I believe in that case, there is this connection. And so there are times that the forgiveness of sin and sin can be a block in the sense of, and I might even say this, it's not so much the sin is the block, it's the guilt over the sin is what is blocking so much the healing. Now, in another aspect I want to deal with, another principle, is the principle of the anointed person. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 28 through 31, uh, Paul's writing, he says, Are all apostles, are all prophets, do all have gifts of healing, do all work miracles? Which means, the answer is, uh, 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 requires, it's a rhetorical question, that requires the answer, no, not everybody's a prophet, not everybody's an apostle, not everybody has gifts of healing, and not everybody is a worker of miracles. 
But it also means that in the church there are people who do have those gifts and are, would be seen in that if you use, even use the term office or they'd be seen as that person has a gift of healing, that person has a, a worker of miracles. And I believe that throughout the history of the church is God's intention. That would have always content, continued. And it also proves that the realm of the miraculous is not reserved only for the apostles because he makes the distinction between the apostle and then those who have gifts of healing and those who work miracles who are actually seen other than the apostles. So it actually can be other lay people or other people in the, in the body of Christ. So I believe this is true. I believe that there are people who have this gift much more than others. Just like not everybody is an evangelist. Not everybody's a Billy Graham. Not everybody has a, not everybody has the ability to just seem like so easily they lead people to the Lord. But that doesn't mean then, because we may not have that gift as an evangelist or office as an evangelist or gift of evangelism, that we're not to share our faith. Uh, several years ago, about 21 years ago, I was going down to Santiago, Chile, and uh, my associate was traveling with me. Um, he said, Randy, I can take... It was this message, actually. He said, I can take that message and reduce it to a sentence. I said, you can do what? He said, yeah, I can take that... I can take your sermon, that sermon, and I can reduce it to one sentence. You're basically, I can reduce your sermon to a sentence. I said, no, you can't. He said, yes, I can. I said, okay, what is it? He said, basically, what you're teaching is when more people pray for the sick, more people will be healed. I thought... Man, that's a drastic reduction. <laughs> but that's the truth. That actually is what I'm after to take away these mind blocks that makes normal, everyday Christians feel like God won't use them. And try to remove those blocks, remove that way of thinking so that they will have the courage to step out in grace and just pray. Now, several years ago in 1984, I was in Texas and I was, uh, Wimber had told me as a Baptist pastor, you can follow me around, be my shadow. And when I'm done, ask me questions and I'll try to answer them for him. Uh, uh, and so this one night we're in this Methodist church, everybody prayed for God healed. Which was not normal. Everybody he prayed for got healed. But the next night, nobody he prayed for got healed. Which also was not normal. On the way back to his room, I said, John, I got a question. He said, let me, let me, let me tell you what you're going to ask me. I said, okay. He said, you want to know why everybody got healed last night and nobody got healed tonight? Is that your question? I said, yep. And then he looked at me and said, you still don't get it, do you? I said, obviously not. <laughs> And I'll never forget. You see, the reason why I want to share that and the reason why I'm sharing this message, it was in this night when nobody got healed, I got so encouraged. I'm going to say it again. It was in the night of watching Wimber when nobody got healed that I got so encouraged that I too could be a part of the healing ministry because of his answer. He said, last night when everybody got healed, I didn't go to bed thinking I was a great man of God. And tonight, when nobody got healed, I'm not going to bed feeling like I'm a great failure of God. I did the same thing both nights. I stuck up my hands, said, come Holy Spirit, and blessed whatever God was doing. I knew I had really nothing to do with the first night, and I'm not taking responsibility, thinking I got 
you know, more. He said, he said, Randy, I have no more faith. Last night I had no more faith than I did tonight. I have no more sin in my life tonight than I did last night. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do it again. I'm going to stick my fat hand out and say, come Holy Spirit and bless whatever God does. And I tell you, that was so, that was such a insight. That was such a revelation. I, I, I really got, this really is a grace thing. It's not a works thing. And he's just looking for people who will, regardless of what happens, not quit. Stick their hand out. And as an act of wanting to be used of God, bless the person and bless whatever starts to happen, whether it does or doesn't. And not blaming yourself or, or thinking too highly of yourself, regardless of the fruit. Just being a donkey that Jesus sometimes rides. Amen? So, the, the fourth principle I want to talk about is feeling the anointing. I like it when Jesus said, I felt virtue go out of me. I felt power go out, dunamis, go out of me. Uh, Paul said it this way in first, in Colossians chapter 1 verse 29. For we labor with all of his energy that works so mightily within us. It's his energy. But he was aware of the energy of God. And, and actually in, in the Greek there is energia. Often translated works. But it's, we just had a trouble with the concept of God manifesting like energy. Particularly in the western church. But in the eastern church... Uh, in the Orthodox, for example, one of the, they believe that one of the ways we know God is by knowing His energies, which are manifested through His gifts. This is one of the main ways God makes Himself known, that we experience, we feel God. He, when He communicates to us through, through His energies, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul said we labor with all His energy that works so mightily within us. Now, having said that, I just want to let you know that I know a few people like Oral Roberts and I've read about and, and William Branham that, that actually feel the power of God in their hand when they would pray and on certain times and they would know certain things were happening and, and uh, uh, certain things was going to be done just by what was happening. I prayed for a guy who became the leader of the uh, Partners in Harvest for John or not. I prayed for a guy and this man had such a gift, uh, but it came in an odd way. I prayed for him. He was an evangelical. This is before he connected with John Arnott. He's an evangelical getting ready to go to a Muslim world. And he wanted to be prayed for because he thought it might be helpful if, if he could have more anointing. And, and so I prayed for him. And I didn't know he was uh, going to be a missionary. So I just, it was like hundreds and hundreds of people. I, and I'm praying for him in a line going down. I just grabbed his hand like that and said, I bless you in Jesus' name. And it went on. If I'd known his missionary, I'd spend more time with him, spent more time with him. But anyway, he was a little upset. He said, my God, that's not right. I drove hours to get here, and that's all I get. I bless you in Jesus' name. I mean, and he was a little upset with God, you know, a little frustrated. And, I, and he told me this later. But he said, after I was on down several people, his hand were the, I just touched, it started getting hot. And then for the next several years, in the Muslim country, every time that hand would get hot, he could pray, and the person he prayed for got healed every time. Because if he missed once and prayed for the wrong person, they could turn him in and he'd be kicked out of the country or worse. He said it was a sign from God. Now, I love that. I never have had it. 
I, you know. So I'm so glad that I don't have to wait till I feel something in my hands before I pray. You know, because if I had, I wouldn't have prayed for anybody. And all the stories I'm going to tell you would have never happened. Any of them. <laughs> and the last one I want to talk about is uh, compassion. Mood of compassion. Jesus healed the sick. Mood of compassion. Jesus multiplied the food. You know, uh, it, 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 there was a major motivation. And uh, Paul picks up on this. Uh, that One of the major things we are to do is, is to express um, faith through love. We are to express our faith through acts of love or through love. Faith expresses itself through love as a, as a common uh, principle or, or it's a common uh, major emphasis to the Apostle Paul. Uh, uh, the whole 1 Corinthians 13 is not say love's more important than the gifts, but the love is the motivation from which the gifts should operate is really what it's, it's speaking of there. And, uh, and, and so this, this whole thing is compassion. I think compassion and, or love is the second most important aspect to the healing ministry. So faith, love, faith and compassion are the two most important. Um, And the others I mentioned, I believe they're all biblical. Now, having said these are all biblical, uh, this is what the enemy does. Remember, he took the law and Paul said the law had a good purpose and it's good. But the enemy used it to bring death. Uh, in, a, in a very um, legalistic way, he's, he's, in, he's condemning us. And the same thing can be about w- with healing. These are all important principles. But the enemy can take them. And if we, if we move them from principles and turn them into law, which means that every time a, a law is supposed to not have any exceptions. Principles can have exceptions. Law is not supposed to have exceptions because if it has exceptions, it's no longer a law. So I'm using that these are... Not to be laws or to be principles, but we're to, but we're to realize that the, what's more important than these principles is grace. So let's pick up the first one, faith. I was in um, Florida, and there was a guy there who was a pastor. Uh, he was noted in the city of Melbourne for uh, to this day. I think he still holds records in uh, football and basketball and track and stuff, or track and football. I mean. And just was a very athletic guy. He's a professional uh, choice, draft choice for for uh, football. And now he's retired, and uh, he had started a church, and he was a Word of Faith pastor. Now, Word of Faith is a movement that emphasizes faith, and, and, it, and it also has a tendency to say that somebody doesn't get healed. The problem is they didn't have enough faith, or they may have sin in their life. Now, he had a healing school, and he was directly associated with Kenneth Hagin. And... Um, and he, his church was five years old. He had about 500 people in it. And he had an accident while working out in the gym. The machine broke and the weights came down across his neck just real quickly and did massive damage. And he had had three uh, fusions of uh, uh, vertebra fused together. And uh, he could not move his neck. And he was in, for six years, severe pain, like Think of a migraine headache, if you've ever had one, and then multiply it by a factor of three or four, and then that's what you live with every waking moment of your life for six years. Totally disabled on disability from the United States government, not able to function. Um, um, he can't 
he can't be in the worship service because the music hurts his head so bad. He is in constant, constant pain. He cannot move his neck more than this. Watch, watch. This is all he can move. This is all the range of motion he had. And even when he did this, you could hear it go, you hear grinding in the neck. So he came to the meeting where I was at. I prayed for him and nothing happened. And so he asked if I could see him in the morning. He had something he wanted to share with me. I said, yes, let's talk. And I met with he and his wife in the morning. And that morning, this man who was a pastor of a Word of Faith church, had a school of healing in his church, told me, he said, I have stood and I have confessed and I have believed and I have done everything I know to do. But I realize now, and I've been prayed for by some of the most important people in the, in the stream that he was in, and, uh, but I have not been healed. And he said, I, I just want to admit to you that even though I'm confessing with my mouth, I know that in my heart, I don't have faith anymore. I don't have an expectation. And I just need to know, do you think I should just accept this condition the way I am and try to be the best Christian I can be with this really totally disabled? And I, at the time, was part of the vineyard. It was kind of the antithesis of the swing of the pendulum. Was we, we, you know, if the pendulum was maybe too far this way on his school, my stream was too far this way. Too much on sovereignty and too much on I can only do what I see the Father do. And I said, no, no, you, there's nothing the doctors can do for you. And there's nothing negative on doctors. i got a doctor right here. I don't mean anything negative about it except there's limitations to the medical field. There are certain things they just can't do anything. There's nothing else we can do for you. And so, um, so all you have is, is, is God. Now God understands that you may go through ups and downs. There may be times that you don't want anybody to pray for you. There are times that people in a wheelchair don't want anybody to try to pull them out anymore. What I found, if you begin to pray and God begins to move on somebody in a wheelchair, been in a wheelchair for a long time, if they begin to feel something, if they begin to get feeling in their legs, if they begin to wiggle their toes, if they begin to be able to move their knees, if they begin to lift that foot up a little bit, you don't have to pull them out of the wheelchair. They'll ask you, will you please help me? I want to try to get up. Now, if, having said that, bottom line, make sure if, God, if you do something, God told you to do it. I want to mean by that, pulling somebody out of the wheelchair. If he says you should try to pull them out of the wheelchair, if you heard right from God, they'll walk. If you didn't hear right, you try, you pull them out of the wheelchair, you were wrong. Don't blame them. Don't say, listen, God just told me you'd walk if you'd tried to walk. You didn't, you, if you'd had enough faith, you would have walked. You didn't have enough faith. No, it's you're the one that didn't have enough faith. You're the one that had the idea that you're supposed to pull them out. That was God's communication to you, not them. So don't blame them. Does that make sense? So don't blame them. Just admit, well, I was obviously wrong. I didn't hear the Lord on that one. Because if it's a gift of faith, it doesn't matter if they have faith or not. If you, it's the person who is acting in the gift of faith, making the declaration, it's their faith that God is operating in. So if it doesn't happen, it's, you didn't have a gift of faith. Just admit it. Be humble. Quit blaming them. Don't make yourself look good by making somebody else look bad. Okay? It's not a very loving thing to do. So, uh, so anyway, long story short, uh, he told me, he said, I'm having so much trouble. I'm in so much pain. They're, I, they, 
I'm on these high medications, these high painkillers, Percocet and all types of stuff he's taking. And he, and, he, and he said, I've actually even started drinking whiskey with it to try to deal with my pain levels. And he said, I'm not a good husband. I'm not a good father. I'm in so much pain. I'm irritable all the time because I am just on my, like a nervous wreck because of the pain levels I'm trying to deal with. It's not fair to my wife. It's not fair to my kids. And, and so I encouraged him. Well, that night he came to church again. And he, got, he wanted me to pray for him. And I'm thinking, oh, I wish he had told me today he didn't have any faith. I could have at least thought he had some faith if I didn't, you know. <laughs> now, now I know he doesn't have any. <laughs> and I prayed for him last night. Nothing happened. And, and, I, and so I, I start to pray for him. And I, all I have is just this little bit, right? That's it. Just a little bit. A little mustard seed. But I had enough to at least I would pray. And as I'm starting to pray, the Lord... Remember me teaching the other night about how I really have confidence that God can help our faith? I remembered that morning I had awakened with the picture of an Excedrin headache commercial with the red arrows going into the bicep. That's a commercial in the United States from years ago. Headache commercial. Excedrin arrows going into the head, but it's a bicep. I said, hey, his name was my name, Randy. I said, Randy, do you... Have pain in your left bicep. He said, I do. I have a lot of pain there. Ever since I, I got a pinched nerve, ever since I got hurt in the neck. But I didn't tell you that. I said, no, you didn't tell me that, but God did. So let's pray for that. <laughs> so I start praying, and for the first time in six years, that pain left. My faith, my faith, went, it got bigger. Yes, God's here. He got, and then, I'm going to pray for the headaches. I'm not going to pray for the ability to move. I'm just praying for the headaches. I start Now I start praying for his head with more expectation. But God helped grow that expectation in the moment. And as I'm praying, he said, I feel electricity in my head. My faith. I prayed some more. He said, I, 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 my headache is getting better. I prayed some more. He said, it's gone. First time in six years for the first second, I don't have a headache. And my faith went, boop. Now, you would have thought I had graduated from Tulsa, Oklahoma, Rama school myself. I put my head on his neck. I raised his hand up like this. I said, I call those things that are not as though they were. In the name of Jesus Christ, I speak to this head and I command that neck to move in Jesus' name. And all of a sudden, Randy Ostrander did this. And I, I started jumping up and twirling. Now, I found out from Hallelujah Factor by Jack Taylor and one of my spiritual fathers that the word, one of the Hebrew words for praise means literally to jump and twirl. Now, I'm convinced that they got that from the natural response of human beings when they see a miracle is you want to jump up and twirl. Now, I, I still would like to, but my back and age won't let me do that. The way I used to. But I was jumping and twirling, jumping and twirling. And then I, on about the third time, a woman caught me. Now pray for me. And I'm, and, and I'm thinking, no, no, I need, to, I need to celebrate a little more. But anyway, there was a word that came, a, prop, a prophecy that morning or that night. And said, Randy Ostrander, when you go to John Hopkins Medical School and you have another MRI, they're not going to see any change. I'm telling you in advance, I've healed you, but it won't manifest on the MRI. I think, that must have been a false prophecy. Heck, I don't think that's God. That seems that's pretty negative. But I didn't say anything. I just said, well, 
He went, sure enough, did the MRI, brought him in, the, the doctor brought him in. He's on full disability. He said, we're sorry, Mr. Ostrander, but according to our MRI, you're still totally disabled. Can't see any change in your MRI. And so you're going to, you know, it means you're going to continue to get your disability check. And he said, well, the doctor, then how do you explain this? And, and the doctor said, I can't. You, you can't do that. There's, there's, you, you, you cannot, we don't know how, we don't know how you're doing that. And he told me, he said, you know, to have something, have no, no, no manifestations of the symptoms is not so bad. He said, I, the United States government supported my going back in the ministry. Totally. I got my disability check every month, but no pain, range of motion back, but on the x-ray, you can't do it. I was able to go back in the ministry and started uh, uh, for burned out pastors, a, a ministry. When I started to pray for Randy, I, all I could think was, oh no, he doesn't have any faith. And I didn't, it didn't work last night. But then the Lord reminded me of that picture in the morning, healed this first and then took, and he just kind of took us in, into faith. Um, we had a, a woman I was praying for. Her name was Ann in, in Nashville, Tennessee area. Her name was Ann. And Ann had uh, Parkinson's really bad. And I had never seen a creative miracle yet. Matter of fact, I was, I was, I was fasting for 40 days for creative miracles because of the other sermon, the thrill, agony, of defeat. I was going in the middle of that. And I seen all these teenagers that needed creative miracles and children that needed creative miracles. And it was just breaking my heart. And so I'd, it had led me to cry out to God uh, and fast and pray for a breakthrough. And it was the 23rd day. It was the first creative miracle I saw. But when she came up at first, I wasn't even putting two and two together. And because this is not, I don't even want, I said, I'm not even going to pray for the sick tonight. I'm going to pray for impartation for people going to the mission field. And she came up, she's shaking. I thought she's shaking from the anointing, but it turned out to be Parkinson's. And I didn't know anything about Parkinson's then. And I didn't want to pray for her. I didn't have compassion. I had frustration. And I found out sometimes it's better to go ahead and say, I bless you in Jesus' name, and then go on and do what you want than it is to try to explain why you don't want to pray. Just, you know. So my heart wasn't even in it. My heart was over here for this impartation for people going to the mission field. My compassion wasn't there. My faith wasn't there. So she came up to me, and she wanted me to pray. And I said, well, I'm not praying for the sick tonight. Go on up. I told her, my, my minister team's up there. She's already been up there, and I got prayed for God I didn't get healed. But God said, if you'll pray for me, I'll get healed. Well, I, I wished I could have said, oh, I had so much faith in that. But I didn't. I thought she was missing God. But anyway, so I stuck my hand out just to try to, you know, to say a quick prayer and go on. Uh, and, and I wasn't expecting her to get healed at all. I, 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 what I'm saying is, it wasn't me. And God can heal you. Sometimes He can use you when you're not even in the moment. Totally disqualified. If there was a time that I, this person shouldn't have got healed. I mean, I'm breaking all the main points. I don't have faith. <laughs> I don't have compassion. I'm not expectant. And I'm actually even kind of put off by her. And, and uh, uh, so I reached out my hand and said, I bless you in the name of Jesus. And bam, she's in the floor. And she stopped shaking. And I asked her husband, name is Elvis. I said, she's not shaking. Does that happen? She, when she's not, when she's in a deep sleep, it's the only time that she doesn't shake really bad. She is in the last stages of Parkinson. 
She had no short-term memory left or very little short-term memory left. Shook so much she never held her two-year-old grandson. She, the daughter was afraid she would drop in because she shook so much. Uh, was losing control of her bladder and her bowels. And just a day or a few days before, she was in a grocery store. She couldn't walk by anymore by herself. She's on her husband's arm. Elvis is her husband's name. And as she's standing in line to check out the grocery store, she peed all over herself because she's losing control of her bodily functions. She said, I need to be in a nursing home, and we can't afford it. And I'm spending over $280 a month. This is 20 years ago uh, in, on, on medication. So she's in the floor, and she's not shaking. And I go on to pray for his mothers, but now my tension's there. So I came back and said, Elvis, hey, Elvis, tell me something. What's Parkinson? And he told me what it was. And he, when he said she had hundreds of thousands or millions, actually, of brain cells that had been destroyed, I, he said destroyed. I said, wait a minute, wait. She doesn't need a healing. She needs a creative miracle. He said, that's right. And then I put two and two together. That's what I've been... I said, okay. I went down, put my hand on her head, <laughs> and I began to pray for her. And as I began, I said, Lord, I call those things that are not as though they were. And she starts screaming, Ow, oh, my head, oh, quit it, quit it, stop praying, oh, my head, it's killing me, stop it, ow, stop it, it hurts. Now, they didn't teach me in, in my religious studies courses in college, when I majored in religion, and they didn't teach me in seminary, they didn't teach me what to do in that situation. So... I raised my hand up. I said, oh, God, don't listen to her prayer. Listen to mine. More, more. And then she went perfectly still. And I knelt. She's on the floor. There's a lot of noise going on, people praying everywhere and worship in the background. And I whispered in her ear. I said, Ann, what's happening? She said, I don't feel anything. I don't hear anything. All I know is that you're here. Jesus is here. And Elvis is here. We were in Tennessee. And laying on the floor, she put her hand up like that. She watches her hand. You don't think that is that exciting, but she's looking at a hand, not shake. And I knew what she's doing. I understood that one. The next thing confused me because I didn't know anything about Parkinson's then. And then she starts doing this on the floor, laying on the floor. And Elvis said, do you know what she's doing? I said, no, what is she doing? And, and he said, that's the test for Parkinson's. She's not been able to do that for years. And then she got up on her elbow and she said, Elvis, get me a drink of water. He brought her a cup. She drinks. She's excited. He's excited. I'm not excited. What's the big deal? And Elvis said, you don't get it. She lost the ability to swallow. She had to sit through a straw. She couldn't swallow from a cup. Then she got up. And she's, we're down here, a big platform. She says, can I go up on the platform? I said, sure. I figured God healed her. She's queen for a day. Do anything she wants. And so she came up on the platform and looked at the people and said, she grabbed his hand, squeezed his hand. She dumped her foot. She said, I've been spending $280 a month on medication. Just think what Elvis and I are going to do with that money. I'm going to go hold and I'm going to hold my grandchild for the first time. My grandson, I've never held him. And then she looked at me and she said, do you have a piano? I said, no, but we have a keyboard. Can I play it? I didn't know if she could play or not. But again, queen, queen for a day. Just do whatever you want to do. God just It was about midnight when this took place. So she walked over to the keyboard and she began to play the keyboard. We have here. Oh, it's on. <laughs> 
And she began to play the keyboard. And she was good. I mean, really, really, really good. And Elvis came over with me, and he's crying. And he tells me the rest of the story. He said, you know, I'm a singer. And I said, I thought so. (laughs) He said, I would sing, and she would accompany me, and would accompany me. And uh, seven years ago, when I was uh, singing, she stopped in the middle of my song. And she could not think of a note. She couldn't think of a chord. It was like her mind went totally blank. And she was so embarrassed, she ran out the side door seven years ago. And she's not touched a keyboard till now. And she's playing. And he's crying. She got so excited, she decided to try to get in his gift instead of hers. And she... She started to sing off key. She started to sing and everybody started to cry when she started to sing. (laughs) Not because it was so bad, (laughs) but because of what she sang. She began to sing, He touched me. Oh, He touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. For something happened And now I know He's touched me And made me whole There wasn't a dry in the house It was an amazing miracle But it started out with frustration (laughs) Had nothing to do with my faith at all Had everything to do with, with, with hers Now That's faith, and I won't be able to get to everything I want to today, but I'm going to get to at least the first couple. Um, The sin in their life. I was uh, ministering. We like, in my church, we love to minister to the poor. And I I took a couple of women with me in the daytime, and I would ask for the food, feed my people, the food bank, give me the names on your computer base of people who don't have a church. Because I not only wanted to meet the physical need, I wanted to meet a spiritual need. And I wanted to reach people for Christ. And so I knew when I went in, these people didn't have a church and didn't go to church and probably didn't know the Lord. And then some of the interview, I'd find out stuff because we had to interview them. Do you have a church? And I'd say, well, any reason? And I'd find out all the stuff they don't like about church and, and it'd give me a good idea. And then uh, I, this, this woman's name was Terry. She's 25 years old. She had, uh, I found out during the interview that um, she'd been living with this guy and um, out of wedlock and he had run off, stole her car, and emptied her bank account. And she was dying of an inoperable brain tumor the size of my fist right here. It had metastasized to both breasts and into organs in the abdomen. And the doctor said, there's no hope. Chemo's not working. There's no hope. You, you, you had a, she had a five and a seven-year-old daughter. You need to get things in order. You need to determine who's going to raise your children because you're dying. Then that's the situation. And I, uh, matter of fact, I want to use this to get another point. I want to kill two points with one story. I always love it when you can use, you know, get points out of the way with the story. So we're dealing with the uh, feeling the anointing. I'm going to get three points out of it because I'm running out of time. (laughs) Feeling the anointing, the anointed person, and sin in her life. 
Now, I think we've already established that she may have some sin in her life. Haven't I? Yeah. And she doesn't know the Lord. I expect sinners to act like sinners. It doesn't shock me when sinners sin. <laughs> uh, so anyway, but I just want to point out, this was so long ago, I hadn't seen very many people get healed yet. And I definitely wasn't known to have a healing ministry. And I felt like at the time I was in kindergarten in the ministry of healing. So, but I'm practicing. I just feel like, you know, we need to pray. The more you pray for you, God's going to teach you more and you're, we'll, we'll, we'll learn. And, but we'll, you know, we, we can't just start at the top. And so I felt like I, need, I just need to pray for as many people as possible. So I said, uh, can I pray for you? And she said, yes. So I started to pray for her. And she said, what are you doing? I said, you just told me I could pray for you. She said, I didn't think you meant now. I, I thought you were going to pray for me, you know, when you went home or went to your church and prayed for me. Do that. I said, well, I would and I, I can, but it will probably won't be much good. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, praying at a distance, I've never seen that work yet. I, I read about it. I know it does, but it hasn't for me. I, you know, that's kind of like Ph.D. stuff in, in praying for the sick. I'm in kindergarten. And I'd actually, I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't have much faith or any faith really that, that you'd get healed if I did that. But I have, a, I have a little bit of faith. If you let me pray for you, put my hands on you and pray for you, you, you might get healed. I've seen that happen. I've never seen the other happen. Not yet. Now I have, but then I hadn't. And uh, she said, okay, you can pray for me. So I put my hands on her. And I said, uh, would you close your eyes? Because it makes me nervous if you're looking at me, you know. <laughs> Would you? She said, no. Now, I'm figuring, you know, this guy just ran off, took her a car, bank account. Maybe she's afraid my accomplices is going to steal her toaster or something. I don't have any idea why she won't close her eyes. So, it, so I just move over to the side so I don't have to look her in the eyes as I'm praying for her. And I'm, 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 I'm just praying, God, I command that cancer to die. And, and, and she says, oh, my head. Now, she's, she's never been to church but once in her life. When she is christened to be a Lutheran uh, as a baby, never went back to church. The only prayer she knows is now lay me down to sleep and she doesn't know how to finish it. That's it. No church background at all. So she said, my head, it's getting hot. I said, oh, that's good. That's really good. She said, you're weird. <laughs> I prayed some more. She says, I got electricity in my head. I said, that's really good. Heat, electricity, both, that's really good. She says, you're really weird. And, 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 and now I'm praying, and then she turns around and she starts talking to me while I'm praying, which is a no-no. You know, I try to tell people, don't talk, don't pray while I'm praying for you, just receive. But she's... And I'm, I'm sitting there, I wish she had shut up. I wish she, she's going to ruin this. She's going she's to mess this up. And I get this, this, this impression from the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about it. This one's on me. Nothing she's going to do is going to stop this. And so I just got, okay... So I'm just blessing. Now, after it's over, we went back four times every two weeks, took food and prayed for it. It happened every time. And then she said, I called me, said, I, I don't need any more food. Being translated, another man's moved in. And I lost track of her. She only had a few months to live. Several years later, I'm at the food bank and I see her. I get so excited when I saw her, I, you know, I don't know if English and American rules of, of uh, etiquette are the same, 
But in America, you're not supposed to yell at people in public. It's bad manners to yell at somebody in public. So we're in this public place, and I see her, she's about to hear the clock, and I said, Terry! You're alive! And her eyes bugged like that. She ran over. She said, you embarrass me. You're not supposed to yell at people in public. You embarrass me. He said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But I got excited because you're supposed to be dead. <laughs> and you're alive. Tell me about it. She said, you know, when you've prayed for me, and I had that heat and electricity and everything in my head. I said, yeah, I remember that. She said, well, I was supposed to get weaker and worse. And I didn't. I, I started getting better. And after a few, several weeks, the doctor invited me to come back in for another MRI. And when, when they did, they couldn't find one cancerous cell in my body. And, now, <laughs> I'm not an anointed person to pray for the sick then at all. No reputation at all. She didn't have any faith or understanding and she had sin in her life this is not a good candidate to expect God to come and heal it's not a good situation this way we won't really understand all this stuff we get disappointed and sometimes we get surprised so then she said I always wondered if it had anything to do with you praying for me (laughs) which proves It wasn't faith on her part. (laughs) And I said, yes, it does. Jesus healed you. And then I asked her if she'd be willing to come to my church and talk to my ministry team. I knew when I'm training a second one for rotation and share your story. And she said, even though she's a sinner, not saved, living in sin, yes, that's what frustrates me. When sinners are willing to testify and saints won't. It just runs me nuts. When Christians won't give their testimony. It just, what is wrong here? But anyway, now, advance. Uh, the other side of this story. Go about t- 20 years later, or 15. I'm in Slough, England. And uh, with my friend West Richards Church. There's about a thousand people there, and I've been there for several days, and I've trained a hundred people for their ministry team. And now we're actually going to minister to the sick on this particular night. We have like a hundred on the team that's going to help. And uh, as I start down the line, uh, I, I know this by a letter I got years after it took place. So I, that's why I know all the details, otherwise I wouldn't remember it. But um, So I can't, going down, I'm going down this line, and there's this, uh, the day before I talked about this guy getting healed of Crohn's disease. And there's a person there whose adult sister has Crohn's disease and she's not a Christian, not a believer. And she got called her mom and said, we got to get my sister to come. And, well, that'd be the first miracle. She'd come because she wouldn't go to church. And she came. She's there on that day. Now, I don't know who they are. And I, she said, when you got to my sister, you skipped her. Now, I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't even interview her. It wasn't like I thought it was too hard. Or I just, I don't know how I skipped her. I, but she said, you skipped her. And she said, I wanted to yell at you. Randy, you've got to come back. She said, by this time, I do have a, a, a reputation that a lot of people, are, are more people than normal, are getting healed. 
And she said, I, you know, like for me, I was like, God's man of power for the hour. You know, like I don't like that type language and stuff. But anyway, that's her faith was there. And she said, I wanted to call you. You got to come back and pray for my sister. And the Holy Spirit said, don't look to a man, look to me. It was so clear. She said, I didn't even ask you to come back. But when you walked off and you're getting farther and farther away, I began to pray, okay, God, if not Randy, then Wes, if the senior pastor, if not him, one of the associate pastors, not associate pastor, assistant pastor, not an assistant pastor, an elder, but God, nothing less than an elder. <laughs> and about that time, the youngest person on my team, 12 years old. Can I pray for you? And... The saved sister's like, oh, God, no. <laughs> and the unsaved sister said, yes. And that little girl, young teenage girl, began to pray. And this power went in to the unsaved sister. She got totally healed of Crohn's disease. Got off disability. Got married. Got baptized and got married and had a full-time job. And then I get the letter from the family Tell me all of these details. God used the least likely person. Now, in three minutes, the last two points. Move of compassion, which I've kind of dealt with that already. But feeling the anointing, I'm not dealt with that very much. So, I'm in Minnesota at a big church. Not a big church, but a big place. An old uh, mall. Penny store's been evacuated, and we got plenty of room, so we don't have to stack the chairs. We pray, and so we get time, and it's time to minister. It's a, it's a really uh, hard place. We had a lot of opposition, a lot of witchcraft and stuff going on, as, uh, a lot of stuff. But anyway, so I said, everybody wants to receive the Father's blessing. Ha ha, ho ho, he he, go over there. And there's 2,000 people, 1,500 people <laughs> went over there. And I went. To, I said to the ministry team, I need some of you to go over there. I have 100 people on the ministry team. We train the ministry team. 75 get up and go over there. And I get a little frustrated. That's not right. It just fill, 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 fill. It doesn't take that long. I don't need 75 people. Here. We got 500 over here that want to be prayed for for healing. There's only 25 of us over here. And I'm thinking, I'd rather go over there than over there. Myself, I would like to go over there and get the fun stuff. This is where the heartbreak can be over here. And... But I felt like the Lord said, well, where do you think I would go? <laughs> so I went over here and, I'm, and I am exhausted. I had not, this was right after Toronto happened. It was like April and it started in January. And I hadn't been gone but six nights, 19 years of marriage. And now I'm gone like 180 days a year. And I've, I've been gone almost a solid 30 days. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And they... They didn't put me in a hotel. This was not a Word of Faith church where they give you a nice honorarium and, and uh, you, you know you get to be in a nice place. This was a church denomination that invited me in that, that only believes in pastor, teacher, no apostles, prophets, or evangelists. And so um, there wasn't a lot of honor. And they stuck me in the dungeon, the basement of this unfinished house, and the toilet didn't work right. And and you know, and so I'm just I'm really. Exhausted and tired and burned out. You know, I, I mean, I've been giving, 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 giving to the point I need to take some time to myself to be replenished because what I'm point, say, pointing out is this. I did not feel compassion. My compassion had been compassioned out on the last four or five people. 
you know, doctors have this, and psychiatrists, social workers. You get to a point where, you know, you just, I don't have anything left. But I didn't allow the condemnation of the enemy to make me stop. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm not very... I, and by the way, you ever heard of this term, body language? There's a book written about it, body language. It means you can speak without talking. And all of us... In all of us in ministry, we understand it's like, for example, if you want to, I've been in ministry 47 years. Here's the secret to longevity. Learn where the black holes are and never look at them when you're preaching. They look like this. They'd like to fire you. Just don't, don't. If you look at them, they're going to suck the anointing right out of you. And you got to learn to look for the right ones, the, the, the energizer boosters. You know, the ones that's on the edge of the seat smiling, saying amen if they're Baptist or clapping their hands if they're charismatic. And, and you got to look for them because they, they'll reinforce you. And, and that, that's part of longevity, you know, just so body language. So I get in my line. I'm going down the line. I say, so what's wrong with you? I prayed and nothing happened. So what's wrong with you? I prayed and nothing happened. So what's wrong with you? I prayed and nothing happened. I got to the fifth person. Big guy, you know, like six inches taller than you, broad shoulders, big, gray hair, older guy. I found out you can tell how old somebody is. It's like trees, the stumps, the rings for people's toenails, uh, how thick they are, how yellow they are. The older you get, the thicker the toenails are. So I said, so what's wrong with you? And he said, my big toes hurt. And my body must have yelled at him because he actually recoiled. He went, no, 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 my big toes do hurt. You can't pray when your toes are hurting. My big toes, they hurt. And then I realized by his reaction that my body language is yelling and it's not good. And I've tried to put on a better bedside manner. I said, okay, take shoes and socks off. So he took his shoes and socks off and I looked at his toes and I thought, this is an old guy. <laughs> I mean, it's like that guy doesn't need clippers, he needs chainsaws. They're just this big. And I grab a hold of both toes, and here I am talking to his toes. Step number four, or two, three, speak to the condition. So, big toes, stop hurting in the name of Jesus. I'm on my knees, and talking, I got a toe in each hand. Big toes, stop hurting in the name of Jesus. I command your big toes to stop hurting. The enemy comes, gets on my shoulder, and says, Do you realize how stupid you look right now? I grew up on a farm. I've got two toes in my hand. I look around. I hope nobody went to high school with sees me doing this. And I just get overwhelmed with this. Nobody's getting healed. 495 more to go. I'm just overwhelmed. I remember thinking, God, I don't want to do this anymore. It's not working. There's 495 to go. And then I remember praying. It's called secret preacher prayer. Now, you don't have to be a preacher to pray this way, but it's so real that you don't want to pray it out loud because if you pray it out loud, you suck all that faith out of the room. So I said this. Here's my prayer. I never forgot it. Oh, Lord, where are you at? I'm here, but where are you? And we're supposed to be co-laboring together. Lord, there's 495 more. I don't want to do this anymore. And he came and answered my prayer. He took me into the, one of the three visions I've had in my life. And it's, it's, it was a, 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 a flashback to a real memory. See, 
uh, I had a lot of damage from the car wreck when I was almost killed. But this scar is not from the car wreck. That one's when the horse kicked me in the head and just took my skin up like that. And so I had a fear of horses from the time I was seven when I got kicked. And I'm 12 years old in this vision. I'm getting ready to ride a horse for the first time since I was kicked in the head. And my dad says to me, son, because see, I want I was thinking, I want to go back to the dungeon and then go home. And my, my dad says to me, son, if that horse throws you, you can't go to the house. Because if you go to the house, you may never ride again. And the vision's over. And I know how to interpret it. I've been thrown in the healing ministry. And I want to go to the house. And God is saying, son, you don't go to the house. Because you may not ever minister again. Shame, guilt, a bunch of stuff. So anyway, I, I finished praying. Long story short, that night... I did it. The last person I prayed for over to the other side, a woman gets healed. 28 tumors in her under 30 years old. She has 28 tumors in her lungs. She gets healed, verified the next day. And then that next night, when they'd have the people got healed late in the night, they come up to give their testimony. The old man is in there. He's come up to give his testimony. And he get up, he got up to the mic and he said, Last night, God healed my high blood pressure. I'm thinking high blood pressure. I didn't even know he had high blood pressure. We didn't even pray for high blood pressure. What about the toes? I, I never found out if his toes <laughs> got healed or not. But what I do want to conclude is to say this. Here's what I've learned 47 years of ministry. When I don't have faith, Jesus is always the faithful one. When I don't have compassion, He always has compassion. When there is sin, He is good at dealing with sin. He is gracious. And He will heal. And sometimes people, if you think He won't heal people if they've got sin in their life, you won't have any faith for healing amongst the lost. I found that's one of the easiest places... Because God is also an evangelist. When I don't... We, by the way, just one question. Would you like to know what I feel when all these people I've just told you about got healed? Yeah. You know, the feeling, the anointing? Yeah. What, I, what I felt, what, you know, was you know which, which way? <laughs> For me, here it is. Get ready to write it down. When all these healings, what I felt was this. Nothing. <laughs> My faith isn't... If I can just get the feeling, you know, my faith is in Him, not in me. I want to encourage you as a church, no matter all the teachings you get, never turn a principle, that even a true biblical principle, into a law that trumps grace. Always let grace be the foundation. Wimber said, stand on the rug of peace and... Don't step off of it. Because when you step off and begin to uh, try to make it happen yourself, you're losing your peace. I call Wimber's rug of peace. I found out what it is. Wimber's rug of peace is my rug of grace. Never step off of that foundation of grace. It's about Him. It's not about your reputation. Make yourself available. All right. I'm going to ask the uh, team to come up and you know, the ministry team as well from the local churches very quickly. Give a word of knowledge. If you have it, you can come forward. They'll pray for you. Uh, 
Uh, matter of fact, you don't even have to wait. As soon as they give the word, you can come forward and they'll pray for you. And I'm going to turn the service back over as soon as we give, the, give those words to the pastor here, Peter, and he'll just determine what to do with you. 